Hey everyone, welcome back to another exciting edition of Studs and Duds Sports. Adam here with the Bishop of Baseball, Dennis Bishop. Dennis, how's it going this week? Very good, Adam. Very good. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, normally we would dive right into our stock up and stock down guys, but actually this week uh, there's some news stories we want to talk about first. Uh, let's get us off with a couple of the bad news stories. First, probably the worst one, especially for the Padres. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Is he out for the year? And it looks like he might be. Um, who Who's really going to fill in for him in that lineup there? Well, so as of right now, uh, it looks like the Padres are gonna are gonna push him a little bit. Uh, supposedly, he wanted to play pretty much right after it happened. Uh, we discussed the shoulder separation uh, at the end of spring training. This seems to be somewhat an extension of that. It's a partial dislocation. Um, right now, it sounds like they're going to give it a go sooner rather than later. The question is. How effective is he going to be if he does make it back? And at what point do they absolutely have to go and take care of a guy they've got signed for well into the 300 millions uh, coming up? Um, as far as right now, they do have a ton of depth. Uh, they've done that through, through trades, through their own farm system. Uh, I think from their standpoint, it would be great if they could, if they could get through this year, obviously. Um, but if they could get it taken care of in the off season, maybe he misses a couple months of the, the 2022 season. Uh, and that's if all the labor negotiations go smoothly and we start on time, if they could get him pushed off to then it would, it would behoove them greatly because the Dodgers would be a year older. Um, CJ Abrams is their top prospect right now. And he would have a full season in the upper minors. So if he was a, a strong spring training away, from basically taking over Tatis's spot until Tatis came back, that would benefit him greatly. Um, but as for right now, it looks like they're gonna they're gonna try. Uh, it's gonna be uh, kind of a cloud over his head all season. No one really trusting how it's gonna how it's gonna hold up, even if he does start off successful. Um, big, big, big kind of wait and see. But right now, that's that's where we're at, and we'll see if things change. It could change daily. Right. Yeah. Hopefully uh, this doesn't become a uh, situation where, you know, he wants to play and they really have to kind of protect him from himself. Um, Very possible. Yeah. Let's stay out West. Uh, Trevor Bauer. <laughs> he has baseball's utter investigation by major league baseball. Um, I know baseball has come out and said this year that they're going to use statistics and, and they're going to start investigating guys that have above average spin rates uh, on their on you know for their starts, uh, Trevor Bauer looks like the first victim of this. Is he being singled out here? Or is this kind of a, a sign of things to come for the season? Uh, probably a little mixture of both. Um, it's always difficult to it's always difficult to really know and predict how baseball is going to follow through with some of the rules that they put into place. Um, as we can already, I'm sure people notice. Uh, guys are stepping out of the box, you know, as much as they, they ever did uh, before, you know, they spent a couple of years with that being a point of focus uh, that just kind of drifted away. Um, meanwhile, replay, it seems we have more and more replay every year. So that one held firm. Uh, this one, we'll see where that goes. Um, I think the idea is that it'll be done more quietly. Um, but right now, it has the look of back when they would have to check the bats for corks and you would have the, the old tales about guys uh, having to send bullpen arms up to, to shimmy up, uh, up walls and down uh, ventilation shafts to, to switch bats and such. Uh, it looks like we're going back to the cloak and dagger days of the nineties with this, but right now Bowers balls uh, ha are being checked out for illegal substances. Uh, it's not a shock. Uh, he's, very outgoing against the commissioner's office. He's also one of the big uh, spin guys, and he's called out plenty of people himself uh, for doctoring baseballs and all of a sudden finding huge jumps in spin rate after getting to a new team, a la Garrett Cole, when he got to Houston. So definitely a story to watch. I don't think it will be much of a big deal. Um, I think it'll pass. I think this is just... 
early season headlines. It could be a case where his name got leaked, but in reality, they've already investigated 50 uh, balls that were used in games from different various pitchers. Uh, so far, I think the story is more in the name and the leak. We'll see how that goes. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Uh, I expect him to to go out and continue continue to do what he does, both both verbally and uh, physically. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's talk about a couple of feel good stories of the week. Uh, Joe Musgrove pitched his first no hitter for the Padres in their history. Grew up in San Diego's Padres fan as a kid. Um, obviously, it's a great story. But is this a sign of things to come? Is he one of those next emerging aces? I don't know if I would go that far, but there is definite talent here. He was really the in vogue name as far as uh, uh, the pitcher that a lot of teams that were contending were, were searching for. So I was a little surprised that uh, uh, Pittsburgh wasn't able to get a better return for him. I uh, was kind of hoping that those days were over uh, with their, with Sherrington uh, running the show now. Um but yeah, it, it was an underwhelming return and they gave up a guy who a lot of the advanced metrics were pointing to as really having started figuring it out. For instance, I made sure to note that uh, two years ago, uh, his strikeout rate, he was striking out 21.9% of batters uh, right around big league average to slightly below. Uh, he was more of a, a sinker pitcher it's one of the reasons Pittsburgh liked him the old regime they loved their sinker slider combination guys uh but then last year that number jumped up to 33 percent that's a major jump um and so far through two starts this year it's 36.7 when you get up towards that 40 percent strikeout rate you're talking elite um also to go with it no walks through the first two starts so definitely a hot start definitely sustainable talent not quite sure uh, he's going to be able to earn ace uh, ace headline on on that rotation because it's so good. But this was uh, this this was a long time coming. He's been a talented guy. the The changes that he started to make last year were were pointing in this direction. And really, right now, the only real surprise is that Pittsburgh either didn't decide to hold on to this guy till he saw some more of those results uh, start to kind of come to fruition or they didn't get a better package at the time. So, so great story for Joe San Diego kid uh, doing it for his hometown team. Uh, awesome to see. Uh, and yeah, the, the talent is real and we'll see if he can continue with the moves he's made so far with his uh, peripherals. All right. <clears throat> we spent uh, most of the time so far out West. Let's head back East and talk about probably the best feel good story in baseball so far this season. Uh, Trey Mancini, he goes back. Uh, obviously, he's coming back from colon cancer. Uh, he gets a standing ovation in his first home start, and then he hits his first home run at home in Camden after uh, that uh, survival of cancer. Is this the feel-good story of the season so far for you? I mean, definitely, definitely uh, has to be up there. He's definitely going to be, uh, you know, the the lead horse in comeback player of the year, uh, pretty much no matter what his stat line is, if he puts up anything decent, he'll probably run away with it. Uh, you know, this is a guy who he wasn't a super highly touted prospect. He's a, he's a true, a three true outcome type of hitter. Um, you know, there are hundreds of those guys in the minors that are just waiting to, to get it figured out to, to make something click so that it basically presents itself against major league pitching. He was able to do that. Uh, you know, talk about feel good stories. I mean, if it wasn't for this guy, imagine how much more uh, drama and negative attention would have been paid to the, the complete nosedive that Chris Davis took for that team uh, without Mancini, basically taking his first base uh, and DH job from him, uh, you know, starting a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm expecting a solid season. Uh, he, he's always known how to hit. He's not the kind of guy that's ever put uh, a ton of a charge into a ball. So seeing his exit velocities are sitting around 88, it's, it's only slightly below what he normally does. Um, the strikeouts are a little high right now. Uh, that's definitely understandable after a full season away from, uh, from seeing any, uh, any true pitching. So 
you know, I, I think, uh, I think as a player, he's the guy the Orioles need. Um, but he also needs to be more than just a mascot. He also needs to be their leading force as the young kids coming up. They, they need someone to give them some protection. So they see fastballs. So we'll see if he can kind of how long it takes him to kind of get comfortable. Uh, but as of right now, great story, no matter what he does. Uh, completely agree. Uh, let's say in the East, let's go to our stock up guys for the week. Uh, sticking in the and, and the AL East, actually, uh, Raphael Devers, um, Boston's third baseman this week, four homers, 10 RBIs, hitting 308 this week. Uh, what do you what do you make of his week this week? And are you buying on him? I'm buying I'm buying on him to to a point. Uh, he's always been a very talented bat uh, since he broke in. He hits the ball hard. The thing that I'm a little nervous about for him is that back when he had his big year uh, two years ago, uh, he kept that uh, that strikeout rate at around 17%. And that was the only time that it's been under the low to mid 20s. And it's back up in the mid 20s. I think that's more than norms. So I do think that uh, there is some batted ball luck here uh, that's driving the, the hot week. Uh, obviously the homers are nice, but he does play in a very, uh, hitter friendly stadium. So you kind of expect a little bit of that, uh, hits the ball hard, can't field it for anything. Uh, eventually they're going to have decisions to make because they're going to have Devers, Dahlbeck, and at some point Tristan Cassis, and maybe still JD Martinez, all four people vying for one or two spots. So going to be some decisions to make, uh, but the bat is legit. Um, I'm going to qualify it as I'm buying it as getting back to an all-star level type bat. He's got to, uh, he's got to get the, the, the strikeouts down. Um, if it's going to be an MVP type bat, as it looked like he was trending a couple of years ago. All right. Let's uh, switch over to the central and talk about a couple of guys that have definitely been putting the bat on the ball over there for the twins. Uh, Byron Buxton with the surprising power surge of three homers this week. And then Nelson Cruz, is this a resurgence for him or what? Uh, this is just Nelson Cruz doing Nelson Cruz things. Um, you know, he's, he's hammered the ball his entire career. Uh, you know, we, he, he actually, with the exception of, uh, you know, you would never think to try him at third base. Uh, his, his, uh, his situation is a lot similar to Devers where uh, he just controls a strike zone. He, he does strike out much like Devers does. Um, he's never had a tremendous strikeout rate, uh, but he controls his own so much. It allows him to swing hard. Uh, that's really your, your best way of improving your contact ability is learn the zone, control it, and then let loose when there's a pitch that you can hammer. And really nobody does that better right now than Nelson Cruz, maybe even, you know, the young phenoms included. Uh, he's just what you, you know, it's uh, he did get popped for the PEDs a few years back um, where his standing in the, the league's history. Um, it will depend a lot on how you feel about that kind of thing uh, as we kind of evolve and decide, you know, at what point uh, are willing to forgive and forget. Because here's a guy who's been doing it for the second half of his career after the infraction. So, you know, this is a guy who crushes the ball, swings hard, uh, owns the zone. And if he has another season like he's on pace for, you're talking about uh, about someone who's on, on the verge of, you know, going off for another 40 home run year. He's going to be at 450 home runs by the end of the year. And then, you know, even though he's 40, he doesn't play like it. So what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do if, uh, if he does it again, now we're talking about a 500 ish guy. So it's, a, he's, he's going to end up a very interesting story and it's uh, we're still in the final chapters. It's not, it's not a, a closed book yet. Um, but he, he's fun to watch. Uh, I saw him hit in a, in a cage uh, in a Boston game way back when he was with the Rangers was in the same cage as Vlad Guerrero, Josh Hamilton. That was a fun cage to watch, man. Um, he's, he's fun to watch, you know, get a load of him before, before he, he moves on. Uh, Cause it's right up there with, with Pujols and Cabrera, as far as legendary type players. Um, he just didn't do enough early on to really get up to those guys' 
totals that they'll end up with. Cruz, you know, you've, as you as you said, you know, he didn't do enough early on. Then he got popped with the PEDs. So, you know, these these big seasons he's had in the last couple of seasons where, you know, the, the as you said, the second half are really helping his case to Absolutely. be uh, a Hall of Fame contender after he's doing it, you know, without the PEDs. Uh, but yeah, Absolutely. And we still we, we still don't have great examples uh, to look back on yet either, because, you know, Ryan Braun. He, he was a situation where he had some good years, but it wasn't, it wasn't to this level. You know, we really haven't had enough of the guys who have gotten popped, you know, cause usually it is later in their careers uh, when they have tested positive. Um, so we haven't had a lot of that data as far as how are people going to view guys that get popped and then end up being completely fine afterwards uh, with uh, the stricter testing. So he's going to be a great case to kind of follow throughout the next few years. Yeah. And let's talk about the uh, younger version of this duo here, Byron Buxton. um, Are you buying his power surge? (laughs) The power's always been there. Um, He had trouble getting to it because he was a high strikeout. He was, you know, I would compare him a lot to if he had been able to stay healthy, we would have been talking about him much like we are Acuna right now. Um, big swinger uh when he was a 17 year old kid you know he he was a big time prospect uh the 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 five tool the five tool skill set there was you know was bordering on legendary type talk um you know and and the fact that he had such wiry strength i mean there was you know there was ken griffey jr comparisons being thrown around there uh we've never gotten to see it prolonged because of his health history so the fact that the power is there is not the surprising part. I think the surprising part is that if you look at how he plays the game, uh, he, he's always been a big swinger. Uh, he's cut down a lot. Like it's a small, small sample size, but we're talking about a guy who has, has cut his K rate almost in half. Uh, and he's taken some pitches now. So he's, he's really changed up. Uh, how he kind of views the zone and he's absolutely hammering anything that's inside the zone to where his exit velocities, you know, are now sitting up there like Juan Soto's, but here's this much leaner, much more athletic guy who's running like Trey Turner and mashing like Juan Soto. Now that's not going to happen for an entire season, but if the guy stays healthy, then he's a great long shot dark horse for an MVP trophy because his defense has always been so good that that's the kind of thing that's going to blow up his war stat. And that's like, that, that's, you know, the first thing people look for the voters these days when they're looking at, you know, their MVP vote. So this is pretty huge. And the question is, will he be healthy enough to sustain this over 140 games? If he plays 140 games and he keeps doing what he's doing, then he's going to be a top three, top five candidate for the MVP at the end of the year. All right. Speaking of top three to top five candidates for MVPs, Mike Trout had a monster week this week. Uh, three homers, four RBIs, hitting 471. Obviously, we know the talents there. This guy's a legendary player, as we've all talked, as we've talked about, you know, since we started our talking baseball a few weeks ago. Uh, but is this the season that Mike Trout really kind of becomes that MVP guy? I mean, it definitely could be. He's, he's the favorite to win the MVP every year as he should. Um, You know, he's, it's not, it hasn't been as exaggerated as Buxton's, but his own health record is probably the only thing that's kept him from winning two or three more. Um, You know, I, I, here's what I think you, you really like to see from Mike Trout, like the, the week he had, the week he had, this is, this is no different than what we've come to expect. So it's not really, the results that I'm impressed by. It's the fact that right now, you know, you check the boxes. Okay. He's, he's hitting balls with a 96 mile an hour exit velocity. So it's like, okay, so he's hitting the ball hard check. You like to see that he's healthy. He's running at 28 and a half feet per second. So he's in the top uh, 5% of sprint speed right now. Okay. Check. You know, he's feeling good. His legs are under his legs are under him. Uh, The one thing that I really like is that he's absolutely not chasing anything. This is a guy who he, he's never been afraid to strike out, much like we talked about with Nelson Cruz. Uh, he will put up strikeouts, 
but it's because he's owning the zone. He's getting walked darn near 20% of the time he goes up to the plate. So when it's in the zone, he'll let loose. And that's where his home run totals come from. Uh, this is a guy who, who's always been extremely disciplined at the plate. And so far he's absolutely blowing that out of the water. I mean, he's, he, he's chasing pitches, uh, 10% of the pitches that are outside the zone he's chasing. Like, that's it. Like, that's a number that's usually in the, the high 20s to 30s. So he's absolutely owning the zone. And I think that's coming from the confidence that he's getting. Now, you know, Rendon, he's going to be out for a little bit. Um, you always wonder about Otani's health. But the way the guys are hitting in the lineup with him, I, I think you're really seeing that he trusts the guys in the lineup. And he doesn't feel like he has to do the damage every single pitch for them to win a game. Right, and it's showing. Uh, it's kind of showing in the standings too. I mean, they've had, uh, you know, the Angels have had a, a really rough start to the season as far as the competition they faced, and they've they've held their own pretty well. Yeah, especially um, with that pitching staff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's move on from a Philly guy to a guy that absolutely owned Philly this week. <laughs> uh, Atlanta, obviously, we talked about last week as their entire offense is a stock down, um, but Ronald Acuna this week. Uh, three homers, four doubles, two stolen bases. His OPS is 1771 for the week in his uh, 550 average. I mean, he's pretty much willing the Braves to win games at this point. Uh, you know, Freeman's starting to heat up a little bit with a couple homers, but his batting average is still under 200. I mean, Acuna, you know, as we talked about kind of in the, in the primer for Atlanta, you know, you're kind of concerned about his lack of doubles um, and the, uh, I mean, he even hit a triple tonight, but <laughs> I think the, the more surprising thing, the more surprising thing with Acuna is the, uh, I think the speed more than the power. Um, do you think that he's got a shot here to be like an MVP type player? Or is this just a hot streak that he's on right now? Oh, he's, I mean, anytime you get a guy that talented, he's, he's always got a shot and I'll echo the same thing I said with Buxton, where the, the difference here this year is that, uh, in much the same way, uh, Right now, he's he's striking out about fifteen percent of the time, and that's absolutely huge for him. That's his that's his biggest thing. Even when it comes to the lack of doubles, it's often because he has a lot of hollow swings. It's either he crushes the ball for one hundred and fifty feet, or completely misses, you know, or pops up to the infield type thing. So you'll get the homers and not much else to where he's kind of neutralizing his natural foot speed. Um, that's not happening this year. And that's, that's dangerous for the rest of the NL East because, you know, he's sitting there striking out 15% of the time career wise, it's up past 26. Um, so another guy who he's almost cut that in half so far in the small sample size, um, his walks are down, but I'm certainly not going to hold that against a guy when he's obliterating everything around the plate. So that's one of those where you wait to see when they're, when they're pitching away from him, is he chasing or is he accepting those walks? So we'll see about, we'll see how that goes the next few weeks, but right now it's, you know, it, it's all good things for Acuna. All right. Um, let's slide over to the central here. Tyler Nyquin for the Cincinnati Reds, four homers, nine RBIs this week, hitting 304. Um, what do you make of him? And, and as a player, uh, I know he's not somebody we normally talk about for Cincinnati or really we haven't, He's not a player that we normally talk about. Uh, give me the lowdown on Tyler. Well, he was a, a solid athlete with uh, with Cleveland a um, couple years back. He had a nice little a nice little uh, start to his career. Um, so it's not like this guy's coming out of nowhere. Uh, got hurt, had some rough stretches in Cleveland, uh, and now he's kind of getting to start fresh. Uh, you know, could always hit. Um, he always flashed some power and right now he's just obliterating, you know, what he's got a shot at, uh, his walks are up. So another guy who's just really, you know, I, I think you can definitely tell that there's a, uh, a common theme here of if you're able to, to, to make the strike out strike zone smaller, uh, and you've got natural strength, it's going to improve your ability to do damage. And that's exactly what he's doing right now. This isn't something that I would expect him to stay on such a hot streak. I think at the end of the year, you'll be looking at another guy who fits in with the Mustakas's, Castellanos's, you know, 
it, he could be sitting around 265, 270 uh, with the, the high 20s and home runs. Um, but it's, it's, any, it's great anytime you can pull a guy off of, uh, you know, not off the, the, the trash heap because he always had talent, but definitely uh, a surprising addition. Right. It's always nice when you can find, you know, just under 30 homers on somebody else's bench that you can just plug in. Uh, Absolutely. And that, and that's something that Cincinnati has done. They did it with Scott Shebler. They did with the Adam Duvall. Um, you know, Jesse Winker wasn't a nobody either, but he was a guy that took time to develop and uh, he got there last year. So it does help being in that park. Um, you know, but it does, it shouldn't take away completely from the fact that he's out there doing it right now. All right. Last one. Uh, we talked about Kettle Marte for Arizona last week. He actually ended up hurt and stepping into his place this week and the stock up <laughs> Eduardo Escobar, uh, Arizona's third baseman, four homers, eight RBIs, a couple of doubles, stolen base this week as well, hitting 308. Uh, he's obviously going to have to keep that production going with Marte down right now with, on the, with the uh, injury. But uh, do you think he's going to keep it up? I don't. Um, Escobar is an interesting player. He had a, a nice breakout year two years ago. Uh, and then wasn't able to come anywhere near replicating it last year. Uh, looking at his peripherals, I mean, you know, he's actually – he actually had that good year of his, that breakout year, based on the fact that he, he's a tough out. He's a tough guy to strike out. He'll take his line drives. And, you know, playing in Arizona, that park's going to help turn some of those line drives and, and, and long fly balls into home runs. Uh, took advantage there. But – you know, looking at it right now, he's actually striking out a lot more right now than he has uh, during what what has been his typical year for the last four years. Um, so this this may be a case of, you know, he's, he's roping a few good pitches, um, but he's going to have to he's going to have to do it longer to kind of make up for for the complete uh, the complete halt he took after starting to establish himself two years ago. All right, now let's roll to our stock down guys. Uh, let's start out with Freddie Galvis. Hit 150 this week, 340 OPS. Uh, really kind of struggling. Um, what do you make of this bad week and kind of a slow start to the season overall? And, I mean, Freddie Galvis, uh, he's had some rough offensive years, but then he kind of found his niche as a guy that gave you good, reliable, sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, flashy, uh, shortstop defense, uh, while then focusing on power at the plate. Um, you know, when you're uh, a second or third tier team, when you've got a dependable shortstop who uh, will ambush a fastball and, you know, hit you 15, 16, 17 home runs, uh, you know, that's good. That's, that's, that's a cheap, that's a cheap power outlet, uh, that isn't cheap to come by if you have to go get it on the open market. Um, She's certainly not for a team like uh, the Orioles. Um, so that would have been nice if he was able to follow Jose Iglesias's uh, big breakout on the cheap last year. But right now it just, he's just looking older um, still playing the good defense, but he's not hitting the ball very hard. He's striking out an absolute ton. Um, and a lot of it's stuff that's in the zone. He used to kind of make his living off of being able to barrel up fastballs. Um, and right now that's not happening. Uh, he's just not doing much damage against fastballs kind of has the look of, uh, you know, it has the look of a guy that's, uh, that's starting to age in place. So we'll see if it's just a, a short burst, but, uh, you know, I don't know how long the Orioles will, will go with them, uh, because it's not like they have anything to lose by getting some youth out there. Very true. Uh, speaking of guys that are starting to look their age, um, Miguel Cabrera had an awful week, and I know uh, I know you're pulling for this guy to get his 500 homers. I know I'm pulling up for him as well. But you know, I think gone are the days where he's going to be hitting you know 330, 340 with you know monster oh, yeah. numbers put up. Yep. No, he. You can you can see. Um... He was a guy who fought a lot of the uh, the exit velocity, a lot of the launch angle stuff. Uh, I think he started. I don't know if he bought into it a couple of years ago, um, 
but you could see some of the changes in the numbers, even though they weren't really resulting in positive results. Um, and, and it continues to be that way. Like, you know, this is a guy who he, he's still hitting the ball uh, well over 90 miles an hour. It's he's still got that strength. He's still not striking out. Um, you know, we talked about the how good Acuna and Boxing are. Miggy was striking out less than those guys, even with this terrible line he's putting up. Um, still taking his walks. Uh, still hits fastballs. It's it's just that uh, he has been going out of the zone more the last couple of years. We spoke about that real briefly uh, in one of the previews uh, that. I just think that he hasn't he hasn't felt like this has been a competitive team. Uh, he hasn't been keeping that zone as tight as he did to a, just a, a Hall of Fame level for most of his career. He's been willing to go outside of it. And, you know, he's just not been the same guy, even though the raw physical uh, ability to, to, to just brutally bully a fastball is still there. So, you know, we'll see if it ever changes. Uh, he's really limping his way to the 500. And it's a shame because even now, he's not looking like he's weak. He just looks like he can't figure out how to translate to a modern game, really. All right. And our last knockdown guy uh, is Bregman for Houston. Uh, we talked about him last week as a stock up guy. And uh, I believe that you bought in on him. So I be- I think this is more of just a bad week for a good player than it is for anything that's going to resemble a trend. Um, what's your feeling here? Yep. I think if, if you look at his season line going into tonight, it was a 310, 355, 550. Like, you know, that's, uh, that's still uh, getting some MVP votes. So I think this was just a really good week followed by a really bad week. Um, he's hitting the ball hard. He's doing his usual low strikeouts. Uh, the walks are a little, are, are, are a little low. He's usually a big, a big walk guy. Um, you know, I think it could be that, uh, he is putting a little pressure on himself. You know, the opening weekend, opening week weekend, you know, when the, the adrenaline's flowing, it's easy to, uh, you know, to, to sit there and, and tee off. Um, you know, it's a long season though. So there's no denying that there's been some offensive talent that's, uh, you know, no longer with that club. So, you know, over, uh, over the 162 game grind, we'll see how he does with carrying the load, but I think physically he's there, um, mentally we'll still see if he's what kind of ruts he gets in as we still continue to, uh, to follow them with extra criticism uh, as well as uh, a pretty competitive division uh, now that the angels are really looking like they're, they're trying to keep pace. All right, let's move on to the national league stock down guys. First up Gene Segura for Philly uh, 211, 460 OPS last week and no extra base hits. He's got a pretty good lineup around him. Do you think this is a, a perfect buy low guy at this point? He could be. Uh, I can see uh, Gene's not a huge offensive player. Part of the problem is that he just he puts so many balls on the ground. Um, he's just a a ground ball machine, and he's already been uh, he's been very very much above average in the amount of ground balls he ends up hitting. Now it's even higher. It's at a, it's at the type of percentage where you're just not going to get enough balls through the infield to get any sort of batted, uh, batted ball luck. Uh, that's where he is right now. Um, still hitting the ball uh, with, with a similar uh, strength and, and power that he usually has throughout his career. Um, this is a guy who's, who's going to be at the, at the bottom of the offensive hierarchy in Philadelphia. So I'm not too worried about it. He'll have some good weeks. He'll have some bad weeks. He brings really strong defense to second base, as well as uh, the flexibility to go play any spot in the dirt. So, um, you know, he'll bring value in those ways. I'm not worried about him. Uh, If you're looking for someone that's going to be, you know, really leading any of the triple crown slashes, that's not him. But, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be fine. 
All right, let's move on to the Central. And the Cubs, Anthony Rizzo has had a terrible start to the season. I know he homered tonight, but uh, last week especially, 091, he had a solo homer, only two hits for the week. Uh, where where do you stand on Rizzo so far? Uh, man, if, if there's anyone who encompasses kind of what's been going on in Chicago, if you, you feel like it's Rizzo, like that team that, that was so star-studded, um, and people were so high on just a couple years ago. It just, it just seems flat right now. It's like, it, it's kind of like the impending doom of knowing that the end of this, uh, of this era of Cubs baseball is over. Um, and that's the way that Rizzo is kind of playing. Um, he just hasn't the last few years, he just hasn't been that guy that you thought he was going to be. Um, despite some good home run years, some, some really good production years. He's never been a guy to really muscle a baseball, uh, amongst first baseman, you know, his, his batted ball that it, it's not going to blow you away. Um, and I think what's happening this year is he might be pressing too, too much because the line drives are declining and the fly balls are on the rise. And the thing is he doesn't hit, uh, he, you know, regularly speaking, generally, he doesn't hit a hard enough ball to, to be trying for 45 home runs in the air, uh, that line drive stroke, um, playing the dimensions at Wrigley, taking a ton of doubles and watching more than his fair share go out of the park. That's been his key to success as, you know, meanwhile, adding a ton of walks and, and not striking out a lot. And right now it just seems like that's, that's reversed. He needs to get back to just the sharp line drives, um, you know, don't fall in love with the fly balls, uh, but that's that's kind of where he's at right now, and it feels that way for the entire Cubs lineup, where just nobody is really doing what you'd expect them to. All right, last knockdown guy I have. It's kind of like Gene Segura, Gavin Lux, and the for the Dodgers hit 105 last week, 255 OPS. He's another guy surrounded by a great lineup that's just not hitting right now. Is that something uh, that we should be concerned about for him? Um, I wouldn't be concerned about the overall, the overall slash line, just because this is a guy who's got, it's, it's a great speed defense combination. Like he, much like Segura, he can handle himself at shortstop, but he's pushed off to second base and that range is, you know, it just plays tremendously well. He's, he's playing great defense at second base. It's a guy who's in the elite tier of runners in the game. Uh, and he hits a ball plenty hard enough. Um, it's not someone that you're going to look at for, for 40 home run power, but it's a guy who, when he hits his peak, he could be giving you 25 to 30, you know, slightly over 30 while also stealing bases, playing great defense. It's a, it's an all-star profile. Uh, that's how he got up to be a top, you know, the number one, ranked prospect at one point a couple years back the difficulty might be the fact that he plays for the Dodgers and right now the Dodgers are the deepest best team in baseball and it's very difficult to carve out playing time if you're a young player and I'm reminded of Jock Peterson with them because they showed with Jock that they are not afraid to take a very talented hitter and sit him uh two-thirds of the games uh, in his entire time with the team. Uh, and that's kind of where Lux has got to be careful because he has been terrible at the major league level against lefties. So, you know, he's going to be a part-time player if he can't figure that out on his own. And as I said, the Dodgers do not mind, uh, you know, taking away your opportunities to prove that you can hit lefties and then you're kind of stuck in a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. So that would be my biggest, my biggest uh, issue with Lux is, can he hit lefties? Will he be given a chance to hit lefties? All right, it's definitely something to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Uh, a couple of series that we should be watching this week. First off, the Indians and the White Sox. Our first uh, look at basically the two contenders in the Central. Uh, I mean, Minnesota has had a surprising start to the season and leads the Central right now, but. You know, at the end of the day, I think we both think that these are two teams that are going to be, you know, where it's going to come down to in the race. Uh, what should we watch for in this series? 
Well, Rodon got scratched, unfortunately. So the White Sox, who their pitching has not settled in um, as far as Keuchel has struggled in the beginning of games, Hendricks has struggled at the end of the games. The rest of the bullpen has been on point uh, and which, which may end up being their strongest, their strongest suit really. Uh, so that's positive to see, but Rodon, he was a big, a big bounce back candidate. Uh, it stinks so far. It's just a stomach illness. So hopefully uh, he'll be back very soon. Uh, but basically it moved up everybody in the rotation. So, you know, Keiko went tonight. He didn't melt down. Uh, which is what he's kind of been doing the first couple of games, but he also continues to not be sharp. Um, that's a problem uh, on offense. It's really, you know, Yerman Mercedes, he carried the team for the first week, but you got to stop relying on a 28 year old rookie at some point. Um, so, so now one of the questions is, uh, are you in a difficult spot because you've got one of the very top prospects in baseball in Andrew Vaughn, and he plays a first base DH, stretching him very, very thin if you stick him anywhere else to get him some at-bats. Uh, but he is currently with the team. And I don't think it's really shocking that Tony LaRussa, perhaps the oldest of the old school managers uh, in the game right now, uh, doesn't seem to care at all about the fact that he's a top five, top ten prospect who's not getting regular playing time. and you know, that is seen as absurd in the modern state, the, the, the modern state of the game. Uh, he doesn't seem to care about that one bit. So is he right? Is he wrong? I guess we'll see. But, you know, it's it's an odd rotation going on right now uh, where they've got some potential big hitters and they're all kind of blocking each other and they're all at different stages of their careers. Uh, so it's just making it that much more difficult, I feel, to get any of them on track. So I think there's some scuffles going on there that's going to have to iron themselves out. I don't think they're running away with this division at all. Uh, right now, Minnesota looks like a, the, 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 the most well-rounded team of the group. Um, and Cleveland is playing well. I mean, they're, they're doing well so far as, you know, as much as they lost impact bats they still have a great pitching staff, which has been tremendous. Uh, so, you know, I don't know where the game was tonight. I, last I checked, it was three to three. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it's a back and forth battle. And right now the, the pitching is really going Cleveland's way. Their bullpen is, is, has been lights out. It's a young bullpen. Um, but right now it's been perhaps their strongest suit as well. So this is going to be a good tight matchup. I don't think uh, either one of them are going to run away with it. Uh, if, if they don't get their, their issues figured out, then it might be the twins running away, but I don't think either of these two teams will be the ones. All right. Moving on right. to the second matchup to look out for this week, uh, the Cubs and the Brewers, two of the four teams that are just going to cannibalize each other, <laughs> uh, each other in the uh, NL central, What should we look for in this series. Well, uh, the, the Cubs got off to a terrible start, not just uh, where the score was uh, last I checked when it was six to one, but also the fact that uh, they had three, uh, three players go on the COVID list pretty much right before the game. So that's always a, a great way to get started. Um, and we talked, we talked a little bit about Rizzo and the bats uh, really have, have not settled in who's going to be their spark plug. Meanwhile, Milwaukee, they're having similar issues on offense, and they lost uh, Yelich for a couple days, at least a couple days, due to back soreness. But the difference there is that their uh, their pitching rotation has been absolutely lights out. Um, I think something, some number I saw was the last time through the rotation, the uh, the five starters combined for like a, a .92 ERA. So anytime you do that, you're gonna have a real good chance at winning ball games, especially uh, with the back end of the bullpen that the Brewers have, uh, even though it hasn't been as strong as it was mid-year, it hasn't gotten to that point yet, but these starters are giving them uh, a real good shot at getting it together without really hurting them. Yep, the old baseball adage, you can't win if you don't score. Uh, <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, 
And probably the uh, the best uh, matchup of the week is going to happen this weekend. The Dodgers and the Padres, we get our first look at the top two teams in the West, and we kind of get it to gauge where the Padres are in their quest to unseat the Dodgers. Uh, what are we looking for in this series? Oh, basically, we're just uh, getting our popcorn out, uh, getting our, our, our butter sauce on, and uh, just seeing how the, the story starts to unfold here. Uh, Bellinger is currently out, but is scheduled to be back. Uh, he should be back for the majority of the series. Not sure how much he'll play but he should be available. Um, obviously, Tatis is in the air. So the two big star players, unfortunately, may not have uh, main billing, but I don't think that's going to affect the quality of the game at all. This is going to be uh, th- th- this is going to be starter against starter, uh, you know, star bats versus star bats. Uh, and there's probably going to be quite a bit of chirping uh, going on if, uh, if anything even close to uh controversial happen so so this is uh this is just a sit back and enjoy and uh and we'll see where we go uh after round one (laughs) all right uh let's head let's head down to the farm uh and talk about the angels this week um dexter fowler is out for the season with an acl uh who do you think is gonna be a good or a good person or persons to look at on the farm for them uh to possibly replace Fowler as the season grinds on? Well, they're t- three of their top five prospects are all very toolsy outfielders. Uh, Jordan Adams is the most explosive of the trio, which is saying something because it's a pretty explosive trio throughout. Uh, he's not nearly ready. Uh, so he'll still, he'll, he's probably still two years away. Um, so we'll, we'll remove him from the, the list of possibilities at the moment. So you got Brandon Marsh and you got Joe Adele. Joe Adele got uh, a lot of uh, a, a lot of time last year in what amounted to you know much more than just a, a cup of coffee uh, during the the COVID shortened season, and he was pretty terrible. Um, he just couldn't make contact. He wasn't comfortable. He wasn't ready. You know, he's he's a prime example of when we do get into these disagreements and arguments and debates over you know guys being you know what what's the worst that can happen if a guy. Uh, get sent up to the big leagues early and they don't worry about their arbitration time and all that. Well, Joe Adele kind of showed it last year. He, he looked lost at the plate. And for a guy who's as physically gifted as he is, he looked just as lost in the outfield. Um, so he, you know, he did improve on the bat during spring, uh, but they still wanted him to work on the outfield reads AKA also slow down the arbitration clock if they by chance could keep them down there long enough. Um, but there were legitimate concerns about his baseball IQ. Um, Marsh, I don't want to say he has, I don't want to say he's a, a natural, a pure natural when it comes to, to his own baseball acumen. Uh, you're still talking about a, a kid who is tools over production at the moment. Um, but he's seen as more of that uh, that steadier uh, that steadier option. He's got a better chance of staying at center field, even though he doesn't have the same top end speed as Adele. Uh, he's a little bit more athletic. He's got a little bit more of a rangier frame. Uh, just doesn't have the the high high end uh, you know top sprint speed. Um, likewise, he's unlikely to be able to hit the ball as far as Adele, but they're expecting him to make a little bit more contact uh, at the same time. So you have two guys who one is extremely tooled up. One is solidly above average on the tools, still an exciting player, um, but also seen as a guy that's going to be a little bit safer. Uh, I think right now they will probably continue to, to move around with a platoon for the short term. I think both of these guys will be up in short order. Um, I feel like they're going to call Adele up first um, just because of the fact that, you know, Trout's not going anywhere unless he gets injured. If he gets injured, then you're probably pulling Marsh up because he's got a better shot of sticking at center field. So if something happens to Trout, he goes on a 15-day DL for something minor, you'll probably see Marsh. Uh, If not, it's going to be Adele's time to, to come up and build on what he started doing this spring. All right, and let's wrap it up uh, with another feel-good story down on the farm. 
Uh, Brent Honeywell with the Rays. You want to tell us all about Brent Honeywell and how he has recovered and his feel-good story? Yeah, we're talking about a guy who was, uh, you know, the Rays' number one pitching prospect uh, back about three, four years ago. Um, actually, for a few years. Uh, there was a stretch of about two or three years where he was their number one pitching prospect. Uh, very talented and he was beset by about as many arm ailments as you can have as a, a 22 year old uh, pretty much missed three seasons, like four plus different surgeries. Um, you know, Tommy John shoulder stuff, uh, you know, and then this past Sunday he started against the Yankees through two perfect innings, two strikeouts. Um, I'm not sure he was able to show it, because it was such a short outing, but he's known as having one of the uh, one of the last true screwballs in baseball. Um, I don't think we got to see that because uh, when I looked at the velocity readings, his uh, his slowest pitch was uh, was about eighty six, and that would be quite the quite the hefty uh, screwball. But uh, he does have just an array of pitches. He was hitting ninety five, so it looks like the arm is healthy. Um, they sent him back down to the alternate site after his start um, to continue building up. He's the kind of guy where you don't want to see him throw more than 70, 75 pitches until he's been able to stay healthy for an entire year because there is so much talent still there. But it was great to see it start, um, you know, successful debut, successful, you know, even more so because he was able to leave it under his own power. And if he can continue to do the you know the comeback trail then he's going to be a guy that's really going to help a, a Tampa Bay team that already has seen three relievers go down to injury um when that's really the bread and butter of what Tampa Bay does without power relievers uh at the end of the at, at even the middle of the game uh they're a completely different team uh so I, I think we're going to hear more about him this year I, I don't think he's done and uh, if Tampa Bay continues to stay competitive, I think he'll be pitching some big innings come September. All right. And that's, uh, that's one of the best things about baseball is all the feel good stories with these guys that, you know, have have these major arm injuries or, you know, the guys come back from cancer, like Mancini, you know, that that's one of the best things about baseball is all these great comeback and feel good stories. Uh, that's going to wrap us up this week. We'll be back next week to talk more baseball with more stock up, stock down, talk about any of the current events that are going on. And we'll also go down on the farm and talk about a different farm system next week. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for Dennis. This is Adam and we will see you next week.